0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Infuse Your Future podcast, where we bring together people and ideas who make the world a better place. Today, I'm excited to introduce Damon Davis. He's an author and a podcaster of Who Am I Really? Both the podcast and the book. So hi, Damon.
1: Hi, Carla. Good to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you.
0: So, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do in the world, and how you infuse the future?
1: Sure, sure. So, again, I'm Damon Davis. I live in the DC area. Uh, I'm an adult adoptee and an adoptive parent. And, you know, I infuse the future by helping to elevate the voices of adopted people to tell their stories of their journey through adoption, and their attempt to find their biological family members. So I'm the host and producer of the Who Am I Really podcast, where those stories come to life. They're true stories of adoption, reunion, and all of the emotional challenges and trials and tribulations and victories and triumphs that coincide with every adoption story. And I also wrote my memoir. It's also called Who Am I Really?, and I share a bit of my own personal journey in there. I mean, it's not a bit of it. It's all of my personal journey from my adoption and, you know, being raised in the Maryland area to my incredible reunion with my birth mother and sort of the shocking way that I ended up finding my biological father and all of the different pieces and parts along the way.
0: Well. Wow. I think that's really important. I mean, fortunately, I'm not adopted, but I know quite a few people who have fostered and or adopted children. And one of my side, my side gig is coaching. And, you know, I've coached people that have been adopted. And I think it's really important. You know, adoption is a really important part of life. Mm -hmm. So I really, I really respect those people who do adopt kids.
1: because. Absolutely. It's in so the adoption conversation is important to dissect because I think we have sort of a preconceived notion of what adoption is, what it means to people, how challenging or easy it is to folks. And even in um, so, some of the ways that it's I want to break it down are the following one, I like to remind people that adoption actually never starts from a positive place if we're candid, right? So let's think about that for a moment. Usually a birth mother has, finds herself pregnant for whatever reason, and for whatever reason is not able to keep the child. It may be that she has been forced to relinquish the child by her parents who don't like that boy she got pregnant by who's from the other side of the tracks. Or as in the case of my own birth mother, she got pregnant and didn't realize that the man that she had been with was married, and so she was part of an extramarital affair. Uh, there are people who are unfortunately the pro, uh, the victim of a violent act, and the stories go on and on from the birth mother's perspective. Sometimes they just are coerced or deceived by society and the influencers around them, the um clergy. Parents, doctors, to think that they can't be a mother and that it would be best if that child was placed with someone else. And so this birth mother is unfortunately put in a pressured situation where she doesn't feel like she can keep her child and the child is forced into adoption. So the trauma starts there with the birth mother and what she's had to live through in carrying this child full term and then delivering the child and potentially never seeing that child again. And in some cases, actually being told, listen, once that child's gone, we're not going to talk about this anymore. Now, imagine you've been pregnant for nine months carrying this person that has your DNA inside them. And you've made the decision, be it through coercion or others, other influences, to place this child for adoption. You're a mother once you've given birth to that child, let's not mistake that fact ever. You are a mother, even if you are not currently the mother of your child. And the unfortunate fact is these women have been forced to live with a quiet trauma that they had to endure when they were younger, that they never got to talk about. And therefore, as you well know, if you don't get to talk about something, you get, you can't heal from it, right? And so therein lies one piece the second piece that i'll highlight is in many cases and certainly not all an adoptive couple is seeking to adopt sometimes for reasons that indicate that they either had and lost a child or cannot conceive a child of of their own so that couple is challenged to uh, conceive their own kids have their own children And they are, for lack of better words, forced into adoption. If they do decide they want to have a family, adoption becomes an option for them. And so I say that to say that these adoptive parents frequently have to think about the challenge of their own circumstance and the need to pivot. It's a very natural thing when two people get together to think we're going to have kids and this is going to be amazing. And to have that plan broken by someone's infertility, so, uh, a chronic disease, a, you know, whatever the complication is that prevents their pregnancy, um, that's jarring. It's a it's a traumatic instance. And if they haven't had the opportunity to sort of talk through how challenging that was and how they're ready to move on to the next place, unfortunately, sometimes adoptive parents, if they haven't gotten through that healing, can place pardon me, can place undue expectations on the adopted child being a Band-Aid, a fix, a healing of their own heart when they haven't done the healing work themselves preceding the child coming into the home. And then the third piece is for the adopted person himself, right? If you're a child coming into the world, you've been inside your mother's body for many months you share her DNA, what she eats and drinks. You've heard her voice for months. And when you come out of the womb, you are, in my case, immediately transferred to foster care and then into another family. We know now more about the infant brain than we ever did before, and we know that there's impacts of this transfer of a child to another place where is that voice that i was hearing for the last 9 months you know and and so it becomes challenging to think of an adoptee as what they used to call a blank slate it used to be thought that a baby's just they've got no characteristics of their own everything they learn is nurtured in and we now know and i can tell you from speaking to over 200 adopted people on the podcast that Nature is a huge part of who each and every one of us are. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma that starts with the adoption process as we know it. Now I've spoken in what many people will think are some negative terms, but these are this is reality. I will say also that there are always going to be children who need somewhere to go. So adoption is not going anywhere ever, and it's not always formal. Sometimes it's informal, you know, in a lot of times in families, somebody's not able to care for a child and grandma or auntie says, bring that baby over here. I got it. And, and they take over. And that's a wonderful thing because that child gets to stay in their biological family. For many other adopted people, it's incredibly challenging because you have been taken from your biological family and transplanted into another family and raised. Now, in my instance, I was lucky because my parents were black. My mom was light-skinned, my dad was dark-skinned, and I'm in the middle. So we kind of looked like we could be family. So we passed very easily, and I was very lucky in my adoption. But I'm always concerned about those folks who grow up in a transracial adoption, where if I had been adopted by two white parents, there would never be a time when I wouldn't recognize that they're not my parent. Like, you can just see it. No matter how much love I get, and I got a lot, and many adoptees do, um, it's still an obvious thing. I had a, a guest on my show say one of the big challenges for her transracial adoption was that she was forced to live something in public that was very private about herself. And I thought that was really poignant. I had never thought about it that way, but that was exactly what I had been thinking. And so, you know, there's a lot of complexity to adoption. But as I started off with, there are some real challenges, but there's some real positivity to it, as you alluded to.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, what are the positive sides of adoption? Um, and thanks for that. That was a really great uh, summary of the realities of adoption. And I'd never thought of it in those terms before, that mm-hmm. you know, it it starts off from this place of trauma, which is so true. Yeah. And considering how important adoption is because every child deserves a loving, caring family who nurtures them in the right way. Another thing mm-hmm. that you pointed on was the nature versus nurture and more mm-hmm. and more evidence is showing just how important the nurture side of that is.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: can you talk for a little bit about the positive points of adoption? And um,
1: Absolutely. So there are several. As I said, there's always gonna be a child in need of a home. And it comes to us as a society in various forms. And I talk about this in a societal fashion because we we think of the fact that it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And if we leave children behind who are not given an opportunity to thrive in adoption or in some other form of care that is most beneficial to them, we're doing that child a disservice. And let's be clear, that child didn't ask to be here, Right. So once they are here, it is our collective duty to make sure that that child has the best opportunities possible to go as far in life as they can. Now, in terms of positive aspects of adoption, I think of several. One is there's a lot of love out there. You know, this couple that we talked about before who potentially wasn't able to have their own baby, they were planning to love that baby. Now they're planning to love the next baby. And so- When a child comes into their home, you know, they've got a lot of love to give. And it's incredible how people are able to open their hearts, their brains, their homes, their families to a child and make them part of the family. And in instances where that does happen, it's fantastic. And I'm I'm a perfect example of that. You know, I was born in Baltimore, raised in Columbia, Maryland. And we had, you know, sort of a middle-class family and I got the opportunity to go to great schools. I went to graduate school. I've traveled the world. Like all of these are built on the foundation that my family gave me as a function of us growing up together, right? Uh, and so there's a lot of positive aspects of adoption. The Certainly the love that a child gets. Um, I think the other one is along the lines of, not leaving anyone behind, as I sort of alluded to. The notion that a child who may end up going into foster care and unfortunately staying there has significantly worse life outcomes in many cases than children who are given a loving family that they can be a part of. It's not a blanket statement by, by no means. I know many adopt uh, foster children who have done amazingly well with their lives But let's be candid, if you're not given the opportunity to jump off the starting line at the starting gun with every other child, and you're not nurtured in the ways that a child who goes into a family versus one that goes into foster care is nurtured, um, you're, you're gonna be starting from behind. And we have to force ourselves to acknowledge that. So there's many, many positive aspects of adoption, and I think um, it's important for us to focus on those as we do focus on some of the negative aspects that we have to address as a, as a community too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. At least in the the area that I'm in, or my experience growing up with my kids, I feel like there was a, a good amount of attention brought to foster children and how to help them. I mean, there were always drives helping them get some of the resources that they need. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of my friends is a family law lawyer, and she and I have discussed on occasion the foster system and supporting it. And I've had the opportunity to talk to people who had the opportunity to teach children in the in foster care.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of the amazing people I met, I don't know if you've heard of him, Anthony Trucks. He was brought up in the foster system and eventually adopted by a, he was a black person and he was eventually adopted by a white couple, but he talks about his experience in going through the foster system and some of the challenges that he dealt with in life and eventually got on a football team and then had an injury, a career ending injury, and is now a coach, but he has a fascinating story, which is also mm-hmm. sad, but ends up very positive. Mm-hmm. And that was a great, great story to hear.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I know it can be challenging too. I have a good friend who wanted to adopt a child and tried going, obviously had to start with the foster system and a lot of the trials and tribulations that she had to go through and being able, having an unsuccessful attempt to adopt in the beginning because the birth father came forward when the child was a toddler and decided that before the adoption was complete. And decided mm. that he wanted the child, and having this, it's just ter- In my opinion, it's terrifying to think of a child who was living with a family for one or two years, and then because of the legalities around it, suddenly has to go and live with a stranger, even though mm. it may be a biological father. And how traumatizing it must be for that child to, yep. and especially at that age, they don't understand adoption. They understand exactly. this is my mom. And she's the one that's raised me. And then to be plucked out of that system and being told, well, this is your new parent and it's a father.
1: Right. And that. so think about that really at its essence, at the core of what you said. I want to dig into a couple of things that you talked about. One, the notion that a child, so I spoke about adoption from the adoption of an infant, but you're absolutely right that there are many kids who are not immediately adopted as an infant, they end up, they land in foster care, not by their own choice, but by the choices of the adults around them. And so unfortunately, a child may have been born into their family and raised to two, three, four, five, six, and then something happens in the home that makes it unsafe for them to remain there and they go into the foster care system the adults in their lives are not able to take the child back in or the system decides that they are no longer worthy or or capable of caring for the child in, in you know loving and meaningful ways and so the child end up stays, staying in foster care. And so one of the things you talked about was sort of the positivity of the drives and the you know resource collection and the you know teachers who are teaching children and things like that but I want to remind you and your audience that one of the big challenges with that is the drive is a moment in time, right? You show up and you've got a backpack and you bring some school supplies and a couple of t-shirts and a coat. That's really wonderful. Don't get me wrong. The children need that stuff. But that was like over a weekend. That child needs love, care, and support throughout every day of every single year for their entire young life. So, you know, You and I both have kids of our own. So, you know, you and I have both have children of our own. And one of the wonderful things that we're able to offer them is the support of being in their lives with consistency on a regular basis. We can answer their questions. We can comfort their boo-boos. We can tuck them in at night. And we can help with the schoolwork, we can scold them and put around the barriers and and the parameters that are going to help them to be a good child. And unfortunately, in some foster care situations, one or more of those things that I just named is missing. And they're all things that a child needs. And so I don't want us to fool ourselves into thinking that the foster care system has uh, what it needs to be well prepared for the volume of children that it has and the humongous task that it has to help those children find loving and appropriate homes and make the right decisions for the families that are are trying to get them back or who cannot you know some of these families who are trying to take a child back actually could just use a little bit more resources to make it happen i've heard the example said that you know if a young mother or father loses their child into the foster care system Wouldn't it be better to spend the time and money trying to uplift grandma or auntie if she's in a one-bedroom apartment for herself and you can keep the child in their biological family and give that mother support to move into a two-bedroom so that everybody's got a room and she can be supported in raising that child? In many cases, it would be a lot better for the child to remain in their biological family because- the question that my podcast asks, who am I really then will come into play for this child? If I grow up in a different home and I think of you as my mother, but as I look at your face and mine, I know we're not kin. One of the things that came to my mind is when my son was born, I realized he was the first biological relative I had ever known in my entire life. And I realized for myself, I was a biological relative to someone else who gave birth to me, and I have no idea who that person is. So it made me really question: if I had stayed with that woman, who would I be then? Who am I really if I don't know who my biology is? So there's a lot of questions and challenges in foster care and adoption that deserve to be discussed. Um, but you know it's it's not a, it's not an easy frontier to to navigate.
0: Oh, for sure. And you mentioned your podcast mm-hmm. where you say, Who am I really? Now, what are you, what is your message with your podcast? What are you trying to achieve and why are you trying to achieve it?
1: Yeah, great question. You know, as I alluded to, I had this amazing moment with my son where I realized I have made this child out of love, and he's the first biological relative I've ever known my entire life. And I don't know who my biology is. And I went on this journey to find my biological mother. And as I said, sort of accidentally find my biological father. And as I would tell people my story, they would say, oh, my God, that sounds like a movie. That's incredible. You should write that down. It should be a book. And every once in a while, I would run into another adoptee that I would tell my story to. And they would say, oh, my gosh, that's amazing for you. But that's never going to happen for me. And I would say, really? They say, yeah, I'm adopted, but I'll tell you why this wouldn't happen for me. They would say, I'm scared to search. My adoptive parents have told me that basically I'm theirs. They don't don't want me to search. Um, I have searched already, and my biological family doesn't want to know me. I was born in this state where the records are closed, and I can't get any information about my family. And the list of issues goes on and on and on. And so I started to realize that my story very much comports with what people think adoption and reunion is. Awesome adoption, raise a great kid, he seeks out his biological family, and there's this crazy, happy, tear-jerking reunion where everybody's so glad to see each other again. And that's not the case. That's the Disney version. The real version is some combination of those issues that I've spoken about so far. It's the birth mother who was challenged to keep her child and wanted to. It's the adoptive parents who wanted to have a child but couldn't. It's the adoptee who was raised in a transracial situation and and always questions who they are. It's the adoptee who goes on a reunion journey and tries to find their parents and finds a grave. They find somebody who doesn't want to know them. They find biological siblings who don't want them in the family because they've been out for so long and they held the, the top spot. You know, so there's all of these interesting challenges. So I'm telling you all of these things to say, I realized that the adoption narrative is not a monolith, that their every single story is a different journey. And I realized that I wanted to help adoptees to have a platform where they could come forward, tell their whole story with extreme honesty and, and as much as they want and be believed by another adopted person who has been through the adoption experience and in doing the show i'm in my 13th season it's been six years 222 episodes as of this coming saturday and the stories are an array of experiences like nothing i've ever heard and i definitely encourage your audience to just listen to one or two of them because i think you'll learn something about the adoption experience from some of my guests that you just didn't even realize were possible. Some of it is like the ins- extreme love and caring and openness of an adoptive parent who is 100% supportive of their adoptee, whether they want to search or not. And some of it is the extreme challenge of an adoptive parent who says, I don't want you to search. I, and they, they're they expressing their own insecurity for their themselves being potentially replaced as they see it by a biological parent. And then on the other side, I've talked about some of the reunion challenges. It's people don't want to know me. It's uh, we had a great relationship for a while until something big happened. And now we don't have a relationship anymore. I mean, the stories are just absolutely incredible.
0: So is your primary goal with your podcast to just get the stories out there?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the goal is to change the narrative and help people understand the reality of adoption. You know, I talked a little bit before about how it was thought that babies are a blank slate and that there is no nature and that it's all nurture. But I've spoken with adoptees who've told me incredible things about their own nature that were highlighted by their placement in an adoptive family. You've got, you know, math nerds who are placed in families of athletes and you've got, you know, theatrical bright, you know, sort of loud, bouncing, energetic kids who are placed in families of very quiet, demure, sort of reserved people. Uh, You'll get a a tall guy in a short family and, a you know, a a thick person in a thin family. You'll get a, you know, transracial adoptee, an international adoptee. Uh, You'll find people who are raised in one socioeconomic strata and they find their biological family is in a different strata, right? If they were raised in an upper-class Family, they may learn that their, their family what came from a lower class or vice versa. They may find that their family was upper class and the family they were raised in was lower class or something else. I mean, any societal difference that we can find in ourselves is something that is represented in the adoption stories that I help people to tell. And, you know, you asked why I do the show. Part of the reason I do the show is because, one- Being an adoptee can be a lonely thing if you don't know other adoptees. So let's say, Carla, you and I are sitting at a a dinner and there's 10 people around the table and we're talking about sports and politics and all of these other things. If none of those people mentions that they are adopted, you would never know you were sitting at the table with another adopted person, right? And so what I do is when I'm at that table, I always tell at least one person some of my story to see if they'll say something about adoption to open it up. But I I do this because at that same dinner table of 10 people, we've maybe got an hour and a half to sit and talk, and we're going to talk about a variety of things. I'm unlikely to get through my whole adoption story in a meaningful way that will help you understand exactly who I am in this adoption space. So what frequently happens, I kind of joke, is that adoptees get to tell the elevator version of their story, right? And that's what I told you. I worked at HHS under Obama. I found my biological mother working two blocks away at Department of Transportation, and I accidentally found my biological father through ancestry DNA. That story right there is we could have ridden the elevator from here to the lobby and, and been done. It has none of the emotional complexity, any of the contemplations that I went through when I decided to try to search. I didn't go into any of my real story. And so what I offer people on the show is one hour, to just sit and tell me everything. And so the format of the show is I asked people what their adoption was like in their home or in their family, in their community, because those can be very different. It can be supportive at home and weird in the community or vice versa. Um, I asked them about what their catalyst was to decide to search. Was it the birth of your child like it was for me? Did you have healthcare concerns that you really wanted to learn? Um, you know, was it, a trigger in your family that one of your own adopted siblings found their biological family and it made you decide to search. Then I also ask people, how did your search go? A lot of my older adoptees will tell me interesting stories about doing gumshoe detective work. They had to go to the high school they thought their biological parents went to and look through the yearbook to try to find uh, pictures of people they thought they looked like or hire a private detective or do all of these things to try to get information the old-fashioned way. My younger adoptees in this digital age that we live in will say things like, um, I found a piece of paper in my mother's closet, and it had my birth mother's name on it, and I went online and I found her on Facebook. Or I did DNA or 23andMe, and those were resources for me to connect with other biological family members, and those people helped me find someone I was looking for. Um, So I ask them how they search because the searches are different. And then I ask how the reunion went because the reunions can be very, very different. Some people live with extreme anticipation. They can't even eat for two days before they go to meet their biological family members, but it's a happy reunion. Other people will find who they're looking for and unfortunately be summarily rejected. And it's everything from, you know, the person will send them an email or a letter and say, don't ever contact me again, to some people have said that their parent's lawyer reached out and said, my client no longer wishes to be in contact with you. And, and one of my other questions is sort of what did you, how did you express this journey to your adoptive family, right? You've gone on this voyage of your own self-exploration. These people raised you. They will hopefully love you. And uh, some of them may be supportive and others may be threatened. How did you talk about your adoption reunion journey with the people in your life? And, and how did it go? So that's kind of the structure of the show. And like I said, I learned something from every single person I talked to. They're just incredible stories of, of resilience, of power, of empathy, strength. It's incredible.
0: Now, is one of your goals to use this as a support network to help people cope psychologically with the challenges that come with adoption?
1: Absolutely. I think there's a lot of power in storytelling. It connects us. It humanizes us. It shows, as I said, that you're not alone. You're not the only person who went through that experience that you had. And you may not have had the exact same experience of the person that you're listening to, but you'll invariably pull out something where you're like, yeah, that's how I feel. Or yeah, my biological mother did that. And so I more often than I can count, I've had people use the word cathartic for the podcast. My guests will come on. And they'll say that it was cathartic to sit and talk with me, someone who was an empathetic listener and who was willing to hear their whole story and believe them. And it's cathartic because, as I said, they are so used to telling the elevator version of the story that it's great to just be able to sit down and flesh out the whole thing because they invariably think of things about their story, about their self, about themselves, about... Um, connections that they w- hadn't made before because they never get to say the story from end to end. Uh, I also have listeners reach out and say that it's cathartic to listen to the stories of others, that it's healing again to not feel alone in the adoption experience.
0: So true. Mm-hmm. Now, once they go through the catharsis of either speaking it or hearing it, what is their next step? You know, you've had the cathartic moment. Now, what does the ongoing support look like?
1: I think, you know, the catharsis goes, this is a healing journey. It's not a moment, right? So there's a a phrase in the adoptee community and the adoption community called coming out of the fog. And not everybody favors that phrase, but I'll use it because it's pretty commonly used and understood. And basically what that means is I've now made the realization for myself that I am an adoptee, I was born in one family and raised in another family, that it takes people a while for that to actually sink in. And then um, the decision to want to search for your biological family, like it can take people years to arrive at that some people will and and I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that happens for folks is when you come out of the start to come out of the fog just a little bit, You might be standing in the shower and think about some of the facts of your birth, right? So I was born in Baltimore, raised in Columbia, and I knew that my biological mother was a librarian and my biological father was a police officer. You might be standing in the shower or laying in bed late at night or driving to work and just kind of thinking to yourself. And when you get to a place where you can, you'll Google, you know, librarians in Baltimore or police department in Baltimore, and start searching for people. And you don't even realize that you've launched your reunion journey. You just, It just kind of happens. And then you may put it away for a day or a month or a year. And then you may revisit it again. And eventually, sometimes people will arrive at, all right, I need to actually just sit down and focus on searching. I clearly want to do this. Let me try to garner some resources that are going to be supportive for this journey. And then Through myself being on podcasts like yours, some of my podcast colleagues who are on other shows, um, the writings of adoptees who have amazing stories about reunion, you know, you see them on news programs and in, you know, articles in the paper and stuff, it triggers people to be more in touch with what adoption means to them. And that can be part of their sort of learning journey and catharsis. And then when they actually experience some form of reunion, be it an adoption reunion rejection, which means I have found the people I'm looking for. I've attempted reunion with them and they have rejected the notion of being with me or you know an adoption reunion. I've found them and they want to know me and we're trying to work on a relationship. That's part of the catharsis. They may find my show and start to listen and that's part of the catharsis. And as they go through this new relationship with with their biological relatives and with their adoptive family. Um, all of that is the catharsis. You know, it's this, this, it's a healing journey that goes on and on and on because the reunions, none of these are, are static relationships. I might find reunion with a biological family member and my adoptive family starts off supportive and then they flip for some reason of jealousy or what have you, or they don't like my biological family. whatever the reason is. It flips on that side, potentially. There's also the potential for the flip in the biological side. They want to get to know you at first, and then they're like, meh, I'm good. I got enough people in my life. You're kind of weird. I don't want to know you, or whatever the thing is. And they're, and so I say that to say, we tend to think of this, this process as being very static. Once you've hit a step, that step is done. The healing goes on and on, because the situation changes you may be in a good reunion at one point and then it turns sour or you may have been in a terrible reunion for a while and think i'm never going to get to meet my biological father and then finally you know he's on his deathbed and he realizes he's kind of been an ass and he wants to come clean and he wants to talk to you you know what i mean so all of these situations are, can be very fluid and it's not a moment in time of catharsis it's it can be very fluid for people and so i encourage folks uh, one to seek an adoption competent therapist there are an increasing number of them out there they're not enough to go around but um i'm i have full confidence that there are a number of therapists out there that are are working on getting their adoption competency and for any therapist or coach or anybody out there listening i highly encourage you to get some adoption competency it's it's an important aspect of who we adoptees are and if you've not been touched by adoption yourself, you're not going to understand some of these nuances of what it really means to think to yourself, who am I really? You know, if you're if you're in a family and you've always kind of questioned like, why am I so different from everybody else? That can really mess with you over time. And it creates, you know, personality traits like being a people pleaser, for example, where an individual may think to themselves, I'm so different from everybody else. I think I'm adopted or they've told me I'm adopted. And I don't I don't know why I was pushed out of my first family and I don't wanna be pushed out of this family. So let me please them as much as possible. So I get to stay. These are the kinds of things that therapists and coaches need to be aware of so that when you're helping somebody through their life, you understand why they have that people pleasing tendency in this example. And there's many other things um, that that will come up. For example, uh, some people will admit that there's their relationship sabotagers themselves. They don't want to get close to other people because they're afraid that person is going to reject them, so they reject them first. So they don't have to fall victim to that. And they, they will tell you, I didn't realize it until I really sat and focused on my adoption, that that was one of the things that I needed to work on. So um, I highly recommend that adoptees find therapists and that therapists, coaches, and others out there get some level of adoption competency. And it can just be listening to the podcast so you're sensitive to the language that we use in this community, let alone knowing how some of the different situations unfold.
0: Very good point. And I think there are a lot of coaches and therapists out there that have been adopted themselves that would understand. And if you can find one of those, that's definitely a big plus.
1: hmm 100%.
0: Now, what message do you want your listeners and the readers of your memoir, what message do you want them to receive when they listen and when they read?
1: I want them to receive a message of empathy for the adoption community. And I say community because as I stand here as an adoptee, I recognize that I come from a birth mother and that I am an adoptive parent. I play multiple roles in this space, and there are multiple different stories to tell. And we sometimes don't necessarily think through everybody's various angles of how they are involved in a situation. We, we have a tendency to judge. And sometimes that judgment comes from a place of pure ignorance, to be honest. And we owe it to ourselves to take a step back and try to understand where another person is coming from so that you can understand what their opinions are, right? It's easy to just argue, right? I don't I don't believe that you've got trauma in your life as an adoptee, but you don't know that if you've not been adopted, if you've not released a child for adoption, if you've not tried to adopt and, and have it go whichever way it went so it's unfair for you to argue what you don't believe if you haven't taken a step back to try to empathize with the people in the triad of adoption to understand what some of their perspectives are and then once you've done a little bit of that work i can see us having a much healthier discussion so i i guess i really just want people to take empathy away from the book the 200 plus and more to come stories on the podcast because they really are human stories. These people aren't making this stuff up. This is how they feel. This is what their lived experience has been. And this is sort of where they are in this moment that they're talking to me on the podcast. And, and I encourage us all to have a a lot more empathy for adopted people and generally throughout our lives in every situation.
0: What would you say to people who are considering adoption Um, or even your message to people who have adopted children and Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe we need to do another podcast just to cover all of that. Maybe that's a long topic, but yeah. Um, yeah. What do you say? Cause I, I think we talked a lot about the challenges of adoption, but we also talked about how important adoption is because children are our future. Mm -hmm. So the more psychologically well-balanced children and the more loved children that we have, the better our society is going to be. And there are a lot of people that need homes, a lot of children that need homes. So what would be your message to people that are wanting to adopt and people who are currently adoptive parents of children?
1: To both, I would say do the work. You have to acknowledge why you're in it and and what your role is, what you're capable of, and the influence you're about to have over this child, right? It's not fair for you to come into the relationship with this child who's already been separated from their biological family and bring some of your own garbage that you haven't addressed. And we all have to do it. I'm not, please. Listen, I was raised, you know, my mom used to, you know, there was corporal punishment in my house when I was a kid, you know what I'm saying? And And I don't believe that that's necessarily the right way to parent. So I brought that to parenting and I had to recognize that this wasn't right and I needed to stop it. And there's other ways to indicate to a child that they have screwed up and that they need to to change their ways. So I say that to say, as a personal example, that we need to examine what happened to us. Have you ever seen this book with Oprah Winfrey? And I I forget the guy's name. I'm so sorry, doctor, if you ever hear this, but um, it's a wonderful book of not necessarily saying what's wrong with you. What is your problem? Your problem is derivative of what happened to you and the lessons you've taken forward in life as a result of what happened to you. So to the adoptive parents out there, both the perspective and those who are currently raising children, I encourage you to do the work and examine, like, what kind of parent do I really want to be? And don't just assume it's going to come to you naturally. Your kid is going to be challenging in ways that you could never expect. And, and I would also encourage, again, that empathy to recognize, you know, if your child is challenged in their identity, like, sit with them in that. Let them talk to you about it if they want to and help them find outlets and resources to do so if they don't want to talk to you and accept that, right? But make sure that you're understanding truly what adoption is. And another thing that I like to encourage adoptive parents to do is practice what's going to happen when your child comes to you and says, I think I want to find my biological family. Because it's a moment you can't take back if you screw it up. And if you say something off color, if you say something you ultimately feel like you're going to want to take back, your child can't unhear what you said to them in that moment. So I, I encourage adoptive parents to, to think well in advance. You may have a toddler on the floor who's barely talking, and I still encourage you to think to yourself, If my child comes to me when she is 12, 21, or 37 and says, I want to search for my biological family, you should practice what you're going to say. Something along, I've, I've wondered if I would ever say something like, I've been wondering if this would ever happen. I'm glad you came to me with this. I need a little bit of time. Do you mind if we talk about this Tomorrow. I want to support you and I just need to think it through. You've acknowledged what they've come to you with. You've been honest that you need to think about it. And you've not said something detrimental to their mentals in terms of coming to you with a trusted piece of information. Do you see what I mean? Whereas if you fly off the handle because you haven't practiced it and you go, oh no, I knew this day would come. You've now put every worry from your own heart into that child even coming to you in the first place. So I definitely encourage adoptive parents to think through what reunion could potentially look like because it's entirely likely that it will come. We are a extremely connected society these days more than ever before. I found my biological father on DNA, and I'll be honest with you, Carla, it was an accident. I was, my mother-in-law's adopted. We were trying to learn more about her as an adoptee and therefore, what her contribution, my wife's contribution were to my son, Seth. And so I said, and in the gap of that, I'd love to know what my contribution was to my son, Seth. And in doing Ancestry DNA, I completely by accident found a connection to my biological father who just happened to be online because he was looking for his own information about himself and his father and their family. So I say that to say, Some of these discoveries can come by accident, and some of them can be very intentional. You know, biological families have been known to be able to find children, and adoptive parents have been known to know something about the biological family. They know sometimes they know the names, sometimes they know exactly where that family is, and uh, they could be right up the road or 200 miles away, you never know. And so, it's it can be very very easy for us to find each other these days and and you know if you're an adoptive parent you should start to recognize that that's a very real possibility and you should prepare yourself for it well in advance cuz you do not want to screw it up if you want to keep your child's trust and have them come to you with stuff
0: yeah really good advice i i think one of the most important things you've said in this interview is do the work that goes for everybody. You know, even if you're not an adoptive parent, I mean, we need to do the work, especially if we're going to be parenting. Otherwise we're just carrying on the generational trauma.
1: Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Let's,
0: let's break the cycle. I mean, that's how a lot of people want to change the world, but the way we change the world is to first change ourselves Mm -hmm. and become the ideal human because we can't expect the world uh, in all of its complexity to change in a positive direction if we're not even willing to take to ownership of our own stuff 100%. and change ourselves.
1: Yeah. And you know, something interesting along those lines, the, the work we've talked about obviously is with the adoptive parents. I believe the adoptees have work to do in terms of our own therapy and understanding healing. Um, but our families actually have work to do too. And, you know, this, I've had multiple People come on the show and say, "My spouse, my spouse just doesn't get it. They're not empathetic. They don't understand." And I've had multiple people say, after being on your show, I played my episode for my spouse, and they said, "Oh, now I understand where you're coming from, right?" Because we've had a very real conversation, adoptee to adoptee, but it's challenging, adoptee to non-adoptee. To convey some of the ideas because you don't have that experience right you carla grew up with your parents potentially and your brothers and sisters it's impossible for you to conceptualize you growing up six houses down in your own neighborhood with that weird family with all the cars in the yard and all that other. like it's just impossible for you to conceptualize being that family's child we can't do that because we grew up with the knowledge of our families and all of the connections and stuff and so one of the one of the powers of the the podcast and the writing and all of the artistic expression of adoptees is it helps the people around them to understand what they're feeling. And and that can help the spouses, the children of adoptees, um, the siblings of adoptees. You know, adoptees grow up in families of other adoptees where the parents adopted multiple children. They grow up in families where the children went, the parents. Went on to have a biological family, a child of their own. And so there's this blended family of adoptees and biological children. And it's helpful for others to understand what that person has gone through by listening to these stories.
0: And I'm sure when someone comes on and talks to you, they're able to talk in a different way that so that their spouse or loved ones could understand it because it's a different interaction. And Absolutely. so even if they even if someone wants to understand and has an open mind um, talking to them directly, it may not be the same level of comfort level of understanding as if they're listening to them, talking to you.
1: That's right. It's, you know, there's, we two sitting here are, are two other examples of that. As I sit here, I think to myself, I could never have a conversation with Carla about being a woman and she could never have a conversation with me about being a black guy. Right. But if I sat here and if the other person was on the other side of these two microphones, if I was sitting here talking to another black guy, we would have a different conversation. And if you were sitting here talking to a woman about whatever the topic of the interview was, you would have a very real woman to woman conversation. And so I make that parallel with this adoptee community that an adoptee to an adoptee, we can have a very real conversation with each other. That will be very challenging for an adoptee to, to speak with a non adoptee who's not well educated in this space.
0: Yes. So true. Yeah. Well, at the end of each show, I love to have a call to action. So I'm wondering if you have a call to action for people today.
1: Yeah. I think the call to action is to listen to the stories of adoptees. You don't know what you don't know, and there's a lot to learn. Uh, the adoptee community is extremely supportive of each other. We you know, think of each other almost like brothers and sisters. We're kin to each other in many ways by virtue of the adoption experience. And I encourage you to just take some time. You may have been exposed to you know, TV shows like This Is Us, and you may have been exposed to television shows like uh, Long Lost Family and other things that have sort of introduced you to what family secrets and things like that are, but it's highly unlikely that you've actually sat and listened to an entire story for an hour about one person's adoption and their attempt to find their biological family members. And I think it's, it's well worth it to just, just try one and see what you learn and and educate yourself a little bit so that you can have some of the empathy that I talked about before.
0: Yeah, so true. And what would be your message to the people that aren't adopted? You know, why, why should they jump onto your podcast and listen to some of your episodes?
1: Yeah. For those who are not adopted, there's a lot to learn. Like I said, I mean, that that message I delivered before was really for that community. Um, I think that the adoptees and the non-adoptees really should be listening to who am I really to understand that this experience is so drastically different depending on where you come into it from. I, I often liken it to, have you ever been in a, you ever seen a sound booth where they mix the music? And there's all these sliders for different, and it's like, you know, as wide as your arms are out. And if you if you took out all the musical components and you put in different elements of an adoptee story, like race, ethnicity, you know, national origin, socioeconomic status, education level, and you put all of those on different sliders, you could get in a different adoption story with every single slider that you move. And so I say that to say, you know, I've got 222 shows and another hundred plus people that I would love to talk to who are on my waiting list. And every single one of those stories is different and it's, it's worth it to just sit and take one of those stories in. I guarantee you, you're going to hear something that you never expected and it will probably prompt you to want to listen to another one.
0: All right. Well, I'm excited to listen and obviously encourage everybody listening to this podcast to listen and I want to thank you for being on the show today. I think you have an important message and wish you all the luck.
1: Thank you so much, Carla. You're doing some great work and I appreciate your open-mindedness to have an adoptee on sharing these stories. So I appreciate it. Thank you. And of course, I'll put your... On any podcast platform, the podcast is called Who Am I Really? You can go to com slash share if you want to share your own story with me. If you want to be anonymous, I'm happy to accept that. We can redact components of your story if you're not comfortable sharing everything. But I take everyone. I don't discriminate. Um, I put everybody on my list as a potential guest uh, because I want to hear from you. I think that our stories are important and valuable and you deserve to be heard. And I try my best to get to all of them. So uh, on social media, at really. And you can follow me um, on Instagram at Damon L. Davis, D-A-M-O-N-L-D-A-V-I-S.
0: All right. Thank you so much.
1: Take care, Carla. All the best to you.